coming to the Word then this morning, and uh, we're going to take a break from our usual series in John's Gospel, and uh, the title this morning, as you can see, is The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. So we'll start with me first, the good. <laughs> no, we won't. We'll go right the way back to the Garden of Eden, right back to the beginning of humanity, where God created Adam and Eve, put them in this paradise, and there was a tree there called the tree of the knowledge of the good and bad, or the good and evil, you remember? And they were not allowed to partake of that tree. Now, I used to find that strange, I don't know about you. Wouldn't it be good to partake of a tree that gave you the knowledge of good and evil? But how does God know good and evil? That's a good question, we'll start with that. Only God is good, so that which is consistent with him is good, and that which is not consistent with him is bad, evil. And so we were meant to know good and evil, not by making our own judgment about what's good and what's evil, what's right and what's wrong, but by passing everything through God. He is the one who has perfect knowledge of these things. So only God knows what is good. Everything consistent with him is good, and that which isn't is bad. When we try to define good and evil apart from God, we end up with ugly. And this is what led to the fall. Do you remember? When the woman saw that the tree was good, good what? According to her eyes, by her standards, not according to God's standards. He said, don't touch. But she saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant by her eyes, to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. So they made together a judgment about something, whether it was good or not good, to partake of that tree, even though God said it's not good. And that's ugly. Now, of course, Satan doesn't mind which side of that tree you eat from. The, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, whether you eat from the good side or the evil side, it's the same tree. When Paul shares the gospel of salvation in Romans, the most comprehensive teaching of salvation in those first eight chapters of uh, Romans, the first three chapters he shares why we need salvation, why we need a saviour, because of one little word called sin. And he starts with talking about the Gentile world, and they were guilty of unrighteousness. They committed every kind of sin conceivable. They took sin to the limits. But then he goes to speak about the Jews. And their problem was not so much unrighteousness as self-righteousness. They partook of the good side of the tree, what they thought was good. They judged their lives according to their own law keeping and so on. But they missed the mark by a long way because they were not really looking at it from God's perspective, but from their own. So he doesn't mind which side of the tree you eat from, as long as you eat from that tree. What is God's good? We know. God's good is the tree of life. There's another tree in that garden that was named the tree of life. And we know that's a picture of Jesus. Jesus is God's good. Amen. Do you remember that? A man came to Jesus and said, good master, what must I do to inherit? He said, why do you call me good? There is none good but God. In other words, you're calling me God. 
If you, if you think I'm good, then I'm God. And of course, he is God manifest in the flesh. Jesus is God's good. And we must learn to call that good, which God calls good, and that bad, which God calls bad. And that's what Paul did. He learned that before he was eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, uh, you know, he, he gives his testimony about the way he saw things and the way he saw his life. You know, he says, um, for example, I was circumcised the eighth day. I'm an eighth dayer. <laughs> um, I'm of the stock of Israel from the, the tribe of Benjamin. Um, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said, not a Hellenistic Jew. One who succumbed to the Greek culture and speaks the Greek language. I'm a pure Hebrew. Kosher, speak only Hebrew and so on. Concerning the law... I'm a Pharisee. I don't just keep the law. I don't just teach the law. I'm, the word Pharisee means I'm separated unto the law. I've given my life to the law. And concerning the righteousness in the law, blameless. Now that was his estimation. The way he saw it, because he was eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But then God opened his eyes miraculously. Then this is what happened. He says, what things were gained to me then, all those things he mentioned, these I've counted loss for Christ, God's good. Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. He discovered God's good in Jesus and he gave everything else away that he might partake of the tree of life. Now, when Adam and Eve partook of the wrong tree, paradise was lost. We know they were sent from the garden. Paradise was an ideal existence you know there was once a perfect world it's hard for us to imagine a world where there was no kind of suffering sickness sorrow pain anything unpleasant everything was good can you imagine that and there were actually perfect people amen before the fall but we have left the ideal but don't lose sight of it because God is going to restore it one day. We'll come to that in a moment. But the fact is that we now live not in an ideal world, but in the real world. We live in an unredeemed body on a fallen planet. That's the real world. Okay? The real world is a mixture of good and bad. There's a lot of good in this world, but there's a lot of bad in this world. We know that. There's... Um, you know, uh, the wonderful quietness of being in a rainforest. You experience that? But then there's also the horrendous sound of being in a cyclone or a typhoon or a hurricane. You know, there's the, the beauty of a landscape or a, a sunset. But there's also the devastation of an earthquake or a volcano. 
There's, you know, the wonderful variety of beautiful animals with all their colors, the birds and the, the, the fish, the incredible variety, but then there's the ugliness of them feeding on one another. Predators. We live in a world of a mixture of good and bad. Life is a mixture of good and bad. Who remembers the Louis Armstrong song? What is it? What a wonderful world. I see friends saying, was it? Shaking hands saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. Beautiful world. And then you turn on the six o'clock news and you see one country decimating another country. You see violence, rape, murder, sickness, disease. Life outside the garden experiences love, joy, peace, happiness, material blessings, spiritual blessings, but also sickness, conflict, war, stress, sorrow, disappointment, betrayal, unfaithfulness, death. It's a mixture of good and bad. Christians too experience this mixture of good and bad. See, there's a, there's a theology that if you have faith, you'll only experience good. That's very ugly. That's very ugly. It doesn't work in the real world, and it's very ugly. Listen to what the writer to the Hebrews says about those who walk by faith. In chapter 11, he says, through faith they were able to, to subdue kingdoms work righteousness, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, and women received their dead, raised to life again. Now it would be great if he stopped there. But then he goes on to say, others were tortured not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were uh, slain with the, with the sword. They were um, wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Not everyone has it easy. Life is a mixture of good and bad. It's not all good, it's not all bad. It's a mixture. People are a mixture of good and bad. And I, what I mean by that is that there, some people are good and some people are bad. I don't mean that. I mean everyone, everyone is a mixture of good and bad. No one is perfect. No one is perfect. Although having said that, I remember uh, hearing about one preacher that actually said that. No one's perfect. And this guy leaped out of his seat. He said, I object. He said, my wife assured me that her first husband was a perfect man. <laughs> Moving on. The normal Christian life. We are a mixture of good and bad. You know, the Bible puts it this way, that there's a conflict goes on, a civil war goes on every day. The spirit wars against the flesh. Yes, I'm righteous. I'm complete in him. I'm perfected. There's no sin in my spirit, praise God. No condemnation will ever come to me, but I dwell in this unredeemed body and it's called a body of sin. And there's a, a struggle every day. The, the spirit wars against the flesh and the, and the flesh against the spirit. 
And the ugly will not accept the real. This is what I just shared with you on that previous slide. That's the real, but the ugly will not accept the real. For example, it believes we can create a kind of utopia on earth. We can, we can control the weather. We can scientifically modify food so that we take out what we don't want and we create even new foods that, that we want. We can even engineer human beings. Wow, that's dangerous, isn't it? But that's what's happening. We can, we can take out from the DNA the bad traits and have designer babies, the kind of human beings we want. It believes also, uh, sorry, it also has an unrealistic expectation of life. It believes we can eliminate pain and sickness. As I said before, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of Christians believe that, that, that you can experience, and, and friends, I've experienced healing. Praise God, I believe in divine healing. I believe in divine health, by the way. I very seldom get sick, and I thank God for good health, but I know people who do get sick. So how do we deal with those people who do get sick and they do believe God, and, they, and yet they're still not healed? Unfortunately, some deal with them in a very ugly way. They either ignore them, they've got no answers for them, and walk away, or they condemn them so you don't have enough faith. It's ugly. Some people believe you don't go, the Christians will not go through storms. I remember I was not, I think it was just last year, I was speaking on an online meeting uh, overseas, and I mentioned that you know, God allows us to go through storms. The reaction I got was unbelievable. God would not do that. He's a good God. Well, you read the scriptures. Read the Psalms. God doesn't only allow the storm. Sometimes he sends the storms. He sent a storm after Jonah, remember? And Jesus sent his disciples across the lake knowing there would be a storm. They'd be caught in the middle of it. Amen. Paul said three times, I was shipwrecked. Are we better than him? Three times I was shipwrecked. Jesus didn't say there wouldn't be a storm. What he said is if you build your house upon the solid foundation, when the storm comes, the rain beats against, the wind, the, the floods beat against that house, it will stand. I'll teach you how to survive in the storm. Amen. But a good God wouldn't allow that. How do we know what is good? I've shared this illustration before, but I haven't found a better one to illustrate this point. So I'll say it again. So forgive me if you've heard it a hundred times before. It, it takes place back in uh, America during the, the Civil War. And um, this guy was talking to his neighbor and he said, um, yesterday, he said, my, my horse escaped, broke loose and got away. And his neighbor said, uh, oh, that's bad. He said, no, as it happened, it turned out to be good. Because that horse came back eventually with a lot of other wild horses. We've got all these other horses now. He said, oh, that's good. He says, no, as it turned out, that's bad. Because my son got on one of these white horses and came off and broke his leg. Oh, that's bad. No, it's not. As, as it turned out, it's good. Because the army came through recruiting all the young men for, to go to war, most of which didn't come back alive, but they couldn't take my son. He had a broken leg. How do you know what's good? You've been eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil again. Amen. The ugly also has unrealistic expectation of people. 
It splits the world into the good guys and the bad guys. The good guys are really those who agree with us or who serve our purpose. They're the good guys. And the bad guys are the ones who don't. And it separates. It's the only way it knows how to deal with, with, with um, the bad guys. So people go from job to job. Friendship to friendship, church to church, marriage to marriage. Now, friends, I'm not saying that there's not a time to separate. Please hear me correctly. Nobody should stay in a relationship that's toxic or in a church that's abusive or is teaching wrong things. But what I'm saying is that we separate over trivial things because we, we don't find the ideal that we're looking for. That's what I'm saying. It also has unrealistic ideal uh, uh, it has unrealistic ideal for personal holiness, resulting in either condemnation or hypocrisy. We have a picture of what the model Christian should be. Amen? And, and um, we aim for that. If we don't get to that, we either pretend that we're there or we, we come under condemnation because we're not there. You know, in AA meetings... It is basically culturally wrong to be perfect. So in an AA meeting, someone will stand up and say, my name is John, I'm an alcoholic. You know what happens? People clap him. Why? Because he's honest. He's not in denial. He's real. But in, 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 in some churches, if you ask to give a testimony, it has to be a victorious testimony. How God gave you that job you prayed for or that rise, or that healing, or, or whatever. You know, the success stories. Oh, God is good. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'll say we should, shouldn't give those testimonies. What I'm saying is, how about a testimony that says, you know what, I really blew it big time this week. Please pray for me. That's my testimony. But I, my testimony is that I still believe God loves me. His love is unconditional. And he's promised he's going to get me there. Amen. That's real. The ugly leads to disillusionment. I remember somebody saying to me, I, you know, I always get, the people that I get concerned most about are the people that lift me up and put me on a pedestal because I'm going to fall. In their eyes, I'm going to fall. They're looking for an ideal which I cannot live up to. And somebody once said to me, I'm really disillusioned. I said, well, that's good. I said, well, why is it good? I said, well, you obviously had an illusion. <laughs> You don't have that now. You had a, an illusion is a wrong perception. You had an illusion, but that's been destroyed. It's good. Now you see me for what I am. You've got a choice now. <laughs> Reminds me of this guy that went for an interview for a job. And uh, the, the guy that was interviewing him said, what are your expectations? He said, well, I want, uh, I want to work four hours a day. I want an hour and a half for lunch. I want six weeks paid holiday and I want a salary of 150000 a year. So the guy said to him, well, how about we give you all of that, but instead of paying you 150000 a year, we pay you 200000 a year. The guy looked at him and says, wow, you're joking. He said, yeah, but you started it. <laughs> Be real, friends. This is the real world. Amen. So how are we meant to live in the real world? And the answer, of course, is by the tree of life. 
Jesus is designed, our Savior, our mediator, our high priest is designed for life on a fallen planet in an unredeemed body where we may receive abundance of grace for all our needs. That's how the Christian life works. Amen? Not by trying to create an ideal world that we fit into and we try to fit everybody else into, but accepting the fact this is life, but we have grace. Wherever sin or need or weakness or brokenness abound, his grace abounds much more. So the Bible says his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything I need and you need to live a successful life on planet earth has been given to us in Jesus. It's called grace. So what has his divine power given to us? We could talk do a whole series on that. But I'm just going to take three things as we close. Because Paul says, now abides faith, hope, and love. Those three things has, he has given to us. First of all, he's given us faith. We are conscious, yes, of our weakness and failings, but we walk by faith. We can live in the real because God has met the demands of the ideal, what we should be in Christ. Amen? He has fulfilled all righteousness and has imputed that righteousness to us and taken our sin to himself so that we stand complete in Christ. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. God loves you as much on your worst day as on your best day because you are complete in him. We read that passage earlier on from Philippians 3 where Paul says, I want to be found in him not having my own righteousness but the righteousness which is through faith in Jesus. Amen? So we, can, we walk by faith. Now people could say, well, that's a cop-out. What about, does that mean we don't have to change or, 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 you know, it doesn't matter about the way we live? No, we're not saying that at all. But the Bible says we are being conformed to the image of Christ. It's his work. It didn't start as his work to get us into, you know, salvation. And now he says it's up to you. It's all his work. We, you know, the, righteous, the righteousness of God is from faith to faith, not from faith Back to us works. But from faith to faith, we're looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He that begun the good work, he will finish the work. So we have faith in the, in the real world where we're not all that we want to be. We walk by faith because we are in him complete. Praise God. What's that verse in Hebrews where he says, he has perfected us forever. That's it. It's done. We don't have to pretend. We can come into the light where sin loses its power. We don't have to go to an AA group to, to be honest about our failings. We can be honest with one another, knowing that we're secure, we're safe, because we're in the body of Christ where God deals with us in the real world. We know that the journey, the process of growing towards the ideal is a journey. It's a journey, you know? People, the ideal, what, uh, you know, when, when you're living in the ideal, you, you want to be at the destination already. When you go on a road trip, what's the one thing kids say more than anything? 
Are we there yet? We, no, another nine hours yet. <laughs> well, at least kids nowadays have lots of things to entertain them. They've got iPads, iPods, iPhones. When I was a kid, we had iSpy. Yeah. <laughs> Try iSpy for nine hours. You go crazy, I tell you. It's a journey. And time is redemptive, praise God. In fact, you don't see growth. It's, I'm trying to think of the word this morning. Is it imperceptible or imperceivable? Anyway, you know what I mean. You, you don't see people grow physically. And it's like that spiritually. But we are growing in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. And so it's a journey. Enjoy the journey. We face challenges every day, but his grace is always sufficient for us. Sometimes it will deliver us from our problems. That's the, that's the option I prefer. If I've got a choice, I want victory, I want deliverance, I want healing, I want everything. But other times, his grace will strengthen us to go through those things. Do you remember what the, was it Shadrach, ne, ne, Shadrach Meshach and Abednego said to the king? Our God is able to deliver us from the fire. But if not, but if not, we will not bow down to you. Either way, he's with us. He's either going to take us out or he's going to be with us in the fire. And his grace is sufficient. Amen. So we have faith, but we also have hope. We have not lost sight of the ideal. It wasn't me. We haven't lost sight of paradise. It's going to be restored and more. You know, the Bible says that the, the eye has not seen, the ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the thoughts of man's mind, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. It's incredible. We, you know, there will be a time when this body of corruption will become incorruptible. The mortal will put on immortality. We will have a body like unto his glorious body. Wow. That alone is wonderful. But then, you know, the, the, there'll be no sin on this earth. There'll be no Satan. There'll be no sickness, no sorrow, no pain. All those things that are negative. It's hard for us to even comprehend that. You know? Praise God. And, and the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. There won't be governments and different philosophies and uh, leadership styles. Jesus will be king over all the earth. It's going to happen, friends. That's our hope. Hope does not disappoint. In other words, we are not disappointed by the present because we are assured of the future. I love this verse because... It, it says, in the King James, it says, I reckon. It's, and, and I prefer that word. Here it says, I consider. Why I prefer reckon is because it's a mathematical term. You know, we talk about a ready reckoner, you know, to adding up and doing sums and so on. And so what Paul is saying is this, that when you think about it, when you take everything in this world, all the suffering. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I get grieved by the suffering in this world. The more it affects me. And I'm, I just find it a heavy burden when I see what people go through. And, and sometimes what we go through. It's a heaviness. But when you take it all and put it in this side of the scales, this pan, if you like, 
And then you take the glory that shall be revealed in us, which will never end. He says, there's no comparison. Now, as I said before, Paul is not trivialising the suffering that you're going through, but he's just saying in perspective, there is no comparison. Praise God. This life, 70, 80, 90 years, whatever, it's not even a drop in the bucket. It's not even a drop in the ocean compared to eternity. That's why he says it's not worthy to be compared. We don't yet see all things under him, but we do see Jesus, who's triumphed over all things, triumphed over Satan, sin, death, hell, everything, now seated on the right hand of God. He's in control. Everything's in his hands, praise God. And finally, love. We have love. We see imperfections in others, but we no longer have unrealistic expectations. We don't have to separate from them. We can learn to walk in love. We know that the journey, this journey I spoke of, it starts with faith, but it ends in love. And Paul says, put on love as the bond of perfection. In other words, the bond of completion. We start with faith and we grow in love. The New Testament summary of the Christian life is faith towards God and love towards others. God saves us by just trusting in him, nothing to do with us. Don't look at anything to yourself. It's got nothing to do with you. It's got all to do with what he did at the cross. But then he gave us one commandment that we love one another as he has loved us. And that's where growth takes place. John says this, you know, a lot of people say um, when they read the first part of it, this is his commandment. See, we're under the commandments. No, he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. Read on. This is his commandment under the new covenant. Jesus has fulfilled the old covenant. Now, this is his commandment to us that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And Paul looked for these things and their growth in all the churches that he ministered to. Let's give you some examples of that. To the Colossians, he says, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. He's waiting for news. He's waiting for news coming back from Colossae. And then he says, tell me about the church. And that are the things that he noted. They've got faith in God. The just shall live by faith and they love one another. That's it. We give thanks to God. And then the Thessalonians in the first epistle. Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love. Amen? That's what blessed him. Second epistle to the Thessalonians. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. So first of all, he heard about their faith and love and now it's, they've both grown even greater than the last report. Philemon, that personal epistle to Philemon, I thank God, my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have 
towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. See that? Timothy, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Okay, so love is the goal. And love never fails. That was a great revelation to me when I, when I discovered that. What does it mean? You know, sometimes we have relationships and they turn out bad, they turn wrong. The question is not how did they turn out, it's did you love, did you do your part in that? Did you love that person? Then you succeeded. Whatever the result was, that's not the, the failure or the success of that relationship. If you just love people unconditionally, love never fails. In God's eyes, you never failed in that situation. But it can only come from faith. How so? Well, we will only love people unconditionally when we know that God loves us unconditionally. Amen? It's when you get that revelation of, yes, God really does love me unconditionally. Not because of what I've done, but because of who he is. Then we can love people unconditionally. That's the way it works. We are not called to change people. That's a revelation. That's a relief for a lot of people. We take this burden upon our backs. My job is to fix that person. No, it's not. It's to love them. To love them. We have to experience the bad in relationships in order to forgive it. Then we become like God. We become children of the Most High. Like Him in nature, I mean. Amen. And love is always tested by imperfect human relationships. That's why we can't run just because we see a blemish in someone. We see a fault, we see a failing, we see something we don't like. We shouldn't run from them. That's, God has placed us there so we might learn to love the unlovely. One of the books that impacted me in the early stages of my ministry, many years ago, written by a guy called uh, Gerald Coates, I believe his name was, it was, uh, the book was, uh, What on Earth is This Kingdom? And he talked about how we approach friendships, making friendships. He says there are three stages. The first stage is when we're both really nice to each other. Nicer than God, you know? And even God's not that nice. <laughs> and, and then he says the second stage is when we discover that our friends can be selfish, not very thoughtful. They talk about themselves a lot. They're not reliable. They're impatient. In fact, they're just like us. <laughs> and then we have a decision to make. That brings us to the third stage. Do we dump these people and look for some idealistic people somewhere? Or do we stay with them and knowing that God wants us to love them unconditionally as he has loved us? Amen? Summary. <laughs> Summary. See, it's a real world. <laughs> In an ideal world, that would not have happened. Summary. God has a plan for us in the real world. And it can only take place in the real world. Grace only works in the real world, friends. He is working in the midst of imperfections. Ours and others. In the midst of heartache and pain, disappointment and even tragedy, God is at work. Faith 
hope and love shine in the midst of a broken world and broken people. If I can just close by, which I normally don't do, quoting a secular songwriter, Leonard Cohen. Beautiful words. So ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Sums it up perfectly. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning that you have great compassion for this world in which we live. With all its weakness and faults and failings and, and sin and misery, you have great compassion. That's why you sent your son as a human being into this world. And now we have a high priest who is touched with all the feelings of our infirmities, who loves us and who understands us and who has grace for us in this world. So Father, I pray that we will choose to embrace reality and reject the ugliness of seeking for the ideal and only settling for nothing less than the ideal. Lord, I pray, help us to be real people in a real world that is motivated by your love and empowered by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.